What's up? What's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because nobody cares more about your financial well-being than you do. I've got a 20 questions episode for you today in which we dive into the listener mailbag. Now, as is customary on these episodes, I've pulled out 20 questions, actually 18 questions this round from the Side Hustle Nation community from the last few months. And I'm going to attempt to answer those for your benefit and listening pleasure today. This is the 13th installment of the series. That's a lot of questions over the years. So you will find links to all the resources and other episodes mentioned at SideHustleNation.com slash Q&A 13 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast app. But we're going to dive right into it with question number one, which comes from Darren. He says he's writing a product review in a tutorial blog and asks, is it a bad idea to link to or share a video review of the product that I've written about from another YouTuber who's got excellent content and would fit nicely into what I'm doing? I want to do video eventually down the road, but it's just too much for me right now. Am I going to be driving people to another site or is it smart to link to other people who have already created this content? Well, Darren, I don't think this is a bad idea at all. This is actually a tactic mentioned by Cameron Stover in episode 485. Cameron was running a daily deals blog and product review site in the hunting niche. And what he would do was reach out to YouTubers that had already created the video review of the product that he wanted and ask, hey, you know, is it okay if I embed this onto the written post that he created? And most of the time, these YouTubers, they're thrilled. It's free extra exposure for them. Plus, it helped his content, Cameron's content, be more authoritative. It's more helpful for visitors. Like, okay, we've got the written version, but we also have the video version. And the visitor doesn't necessarily care who created the video, right? And if people watch the video, they're engaged with your content. And this is my theory anyways, is that increased time they spent on your page, that's sending all sorts of warm, fuzzy signals uh, to the Google algorithm there. So absolutely, I like the idea of embedding video into your written content there, even if it's not yours. Question two is from John. He says, I love what I do, but I'm the sole provider for my family and we're struggling on just a teacher's salary. I've tried to work part-time jobs in the past and it's just burned me out hard. I don't have much startup investment to work with and live in a rural area. What advice would you have to start a side hustle? I'm not afraid to work hard and do what I need to do. I just need some guidance. So John, I think the out school teaching example is an interesting one, just because you can take your existing skills, your existing teaching skills to a new audience and go one to many. And I propose that in contrast to a common teacher side hustle like tutoring, because it has a potential to go instead of one to one, you're going one to many. And if your classes fill up, you're probably going to have a stronger hourly rate doing that. In fact, some outschool teachers are, you know, in the hundred, $100 plus per hour rate on there effectively. But one factor to consider here is short-term goals versus long-term goals. Do you need something to make ends meet immediately? Or are you looking for a little more financial breathing room over the next one to two years? And ultimately, it sounds like what you're looking for comes down to leverage and not the debt form of leverage. But I mean, by that, trying to figure out a way to decouple your income from your hours, since the hours are always going to be limited. And if you're surviving at the moment, that frees you up to pursue projects like building an out-school presence where it's not immediate, you know, turn it on and, and all of a sudden I'm getting that paycheck in a week. It frees you up to pursue projects like that, to pursue a project like building an online business. I mean, maybe there's a way to package up 
your skills and knowledge into a paid workshop for some organization. Maybe there's a way to take some of your career skills and provide kind of an ancillary service like resume reviews or interview prep, connecting with clients on LinkedIn, for example. There are a ton of ways to get it done. And I don't know how old your kids are, but maybe there's a way to get them involved in some way, flipping products or building websites or washing cars. I get the sense, and you're not alone here, that there's this inherent fear of wasting time on a side hustle that doesn't go anywhere. And I get it. There's only so many hours in the day. And every hour that you spend on a business that ends up quote unquote failing is an hour less with your family. And that's that's really tough to swallow. But I do believe two things. First, if you do nothing and you start perpetually stuck in the analysis paralysis phase, tomorrow is going to look just like today. Nothing's going to change. And second, any idea that you start that has the potential for leverage down the road is going to be this incredible learning experience, even if it doesn't uh, reap immediate rewards. But appreciate you reaching out. We're rooting for you, and I hope you'll keep us all posted. Question number three is from Rachel. She says, hey, love the new cover art, and I noticed you have started releasing two episodes a week instead of just once. I like the additional content, but I'm just curious, what's the strategy here? So Rachel, uh, thanks for noticing. First of all, um, this is a little experiment of mine this quarter to see if I can break through what's really been a years-long plateau in terms of audience size. I took a look at a lot of the other top business podcasts and found one common trait was that almost all of them publish multiple times a week. I mean, uh, Jordan Harbinger is three to four times a week. Tim Ferriss was multiple times a week until just really recently. It looks like he's scaled it back to one time a week. Dave Ramsey is like three times a day. I guess he's just repurposing his radio show. Gary Vee is posting daily episodes. Rachel Hollis, three times a week. My First Million, two to three times a week. Kathy Heller, a couple times a week. So just, okay, this seems to be the trend. On top of that, uh, the last time I ran a survey of the Side Hustle Nation email list, I had a bunch of responses looking for more frequent episodes. That was kind of surprising to me. It's like, there's hundreds of back archives if you want to go binge, but people were like, you know, if you if you came out with more, we'd tune in. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to test it out in uh, Q2, see if there's any impact. These are going to be f- shorter format shows uh, most of the time, probably. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking in the 15 to 20 minute range, you're going to see some more niche side hustle examples. You're going to see some more solo episodes. You're going to see maybe even some of the greatest hits from the archives or great content from other podcasters. My baseline metric here is an audience size of 85 to 100,000 listeners, according to PodTrack. It's this you know, PodTrack analytics service. So I'm going to be measuring success or failure of this experiment against that baseline to see if doubling the number of episodes increases the overall number of people tuning in. Only a few weeks into it, but the early indications are positive, so stay tuned on that. Question four is from Richard, who asks, can you help me scale a passive income to at least 50 grand a month? Well, Richard, you know, I love a big goal, but with any goal, I think we have to peel it back and ask, why is that important to you? Because if it's not important, then what's the point? Is it just a vanity metric? So I would ask, okay, what's the 50 grand a month for? What's that going to afford you that your current level of income doesn't? Or would a lower 
target suffice? Because one thing is like, okay, I'm going to set this big goal. And maybe that's motivating for some people, but maybe it's debilitating for other people. Like, oh, just, I'm never going to get that, right? But let's break down that 50 grand, if that's the number, and how we might hit that in a time leveraged way, because that's what I'm guessing you mean by passive. I mean, if you want totally passive income, shoot, just drop 15 million into dividend stocks at a 4% yield. But something that we can set up and then kind of switch into management or maintenance mode, time leveraged versus totally passive. 50 grand a month is around 1700 bucks a day, every day of the month. So consulting is out of the question because it's not passive. Building a website is a possibility, but is going to require a ton of traffic to reach those income levels, either through ads or affiliate sales. Drop servicing is an option where you resell somebody else's service at a marked up price. But again, it's going to require a ton of volume because you're only making a percentage of each sale. E-commerce is a possibility and you could probably go find some products uh, on Amazon, use a tool like Jungle Scout or Helium 10, and you can probably find products that are doing that kind of sales volume. But of course, any product that is doing that kind of sales volume has this huge target on its back saying, hey, come compete with me. Hey, come undercut me. The route that may be most realistic is selling some type of high ticket online program, high ticket online course. By that, I mean something in the $2,000 range where I just need to sell one a day. So think about what kind of transformation that you could help people achieve that might be worth $2,000. A couple examples. One is the Talent Stacker Salesforce program. Jane Haven's uh, Sleep Consultant Training is an example of that. We heard from Jane recently on the podcast. Then it becomes a matter of building out your marketing machine and sales funnel. In the case of Talent Stacker, the entry point is this free five-day challenge. People enter it from hearing about it on podcasts like this one or like Choose FI or YouTube videos that Bradley's put together. And then once you get your systems dialed in, you start to learn your average conversion rates from somebody uh, discovering your program to actually buying it. They discover your content and then how many people um, at the end actually hit the buy button and, and swipe their credit card. And maybe it's 3% of everybody who opts in originally. So if you need to make one sale a day on average to hit your goal, you need 33 people to sign up for your email list every day or watch your free webinar or whatever the top of funnel entry point is to your program. And now that's, that seems totally doable. That's not that many people. For kind of a simple course sales framework, I liked the episode that we did with Nate Dotson. He's teaching people how to start a microgreens business, like super niche online course business. And he broke down his sales process and how it was really fueled by just a couple popular YouTube videos as his means of discovery. That is episode 314 in the archives. If you want to go check it out or sidehustlenation.com slash Nate, N-A-T-E. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like 
LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Question five comes from Penny. She says, I'm interested in a virtual assistant side hustle, but my dilemma is how to go find good paying clients. I know about Fiverr, I know about Upwork, but these gigs only pay five bucks an hour. Well, Penny, virtual assistants and virtual work in general is booming for sure the last couple years, but where do you go to find gigs? Inside entrepreneurial Facebook groups is one place that I would start. You'll often see people posting, asking for recommendations for virtual support, and you'd be able to chime in there, raise your hand, There's virtual assistant-specific Facebook groups as another option. I know Abby Ashley runs a group called Virtual Assistant Savvies. It's a huge group over there, and I believe they sometimes share job postings that they get. And beyond that, there are the big remote job boards like Flex Jobs, like Dynamite Jobs. But one thing I would challenge you to do is think of a niche specialization like, you know, Twitter content specialist, or I do... Uh, TikTok repurposing for podcasters, or I do, you know, paid search marketing on Google for e-commerce brands, or I do live chat customer support or community management or Pinterest marketing or content writing. Because I think then you have the ability to clearly explain what you do and who you do it for, which makes it easier for other people to refer you. But you can also begin to do some tactful, proactive outreach instead of just waiting for gigs or job postings to come to you. Now you can go out with a specific value proposition, pitch your service. And of course you could do that with a general VA service too, but I think it's just going to be a little bit harder for your prospective customer to think, okay, well, what are the specific tasks that I would go and hand off? Now, speaking of Abby, she mentioned in the episode that we did on starting her service business She got her first clients by showing up at a local networking event and introducing herself as a virtual assistant. So it might be as simple as meeting people locally and explaining how you can help. That that worked for her. Question six is from Julia in New Zealand. Thanks for tuning in. I 
was really inspired by your Marietta Stories podcast. That was episode 293 with Bill Nowicki. She says, I don't have a podcast, but I've always wanted to start one and thought I could start something similar for the community I live in. But I'm wondering who would really be that interested in listening to it? Is anybody really going to check in each week for a new episode highlighting another local story slash business slash organization? I would love to do it. I love my local community, but I don't really know who the real target audience would be and why they would listen. Well, Julia, I like this idea. I like the local podcast angle. I like the local you know, community newsletter angle that uh, Melissa Fassel Dunn uh, talked about in episode 378. This was, you know, for her local community outside of Boston. So who's going to tune in? I think the people most interested in tuning in are kind of the, you know, civic minded folks who love their town. They're curious about what's going on. Like I would follow, you know, Livermore downtown when we were living in, in Livermore and trying to figure out, well, you know, what's happening? What are the, what are the events? Those people who might be involved in existing community groups, school organization, kids activities, stuff like that. I feel like that might be the target market. Now, obviously, it's not going to be as big as a show with a broader audience, but it could be really well targeted. Like, again, back in Livermore, there were a couple real estate agents that put together this site called I Love Livermore and with the end goal of helping them sell more houses. Like Bill was relying on sponsors and stuff for Marietta Stories. But I think it works best if you could earn direct business from the exposure for your show. Like if you had a local business or a business serving local businesses, then I think that's maybe where it makes the most sense. Question seven comes from Sarah. She says, I know you mentioned that you previously edited books on Fiverr. The article mentioned that you niched down to editing nonfiction and then within that category, self-help and business material, five bucks for 500 words to start out with. Did you make a video to advertise your services? Was it a written post? I just, I'm kind of lost at where to start and how to sell my editing services. So Sarah, thanks for the question. For this gig, I had to go look this up. I actually didn't have a video, but Fiverr today gives you a lot of tools to create a compelling sales page based on their templates. You can have different package offerings. And this is, I imagine, the result of a, a decade plus of you know, split testing different conversion rates on the Fiverr platform. But what I would do is follow a specific sales letter or copywriting framework. And you can look these up, but a common one is uh, problem agitate solve. Uh, another one is AIDA, I think, attention, interest, desire, action, maybe. Don't quote me on that. And then you can structure your description in that way. Like, why is this important? Why is this a problem? How do I get you to want this? And then, you know, go and solve that problem. The action that somebody wants to take, hey, buy my thing, sign up for my service. Another one is the the story brand framework, which focuses on your customer as the hero and you as their guide along the way. You can talk about your customer's unique goals and how your service helps them achieve those goals. And I know you mentioned Fiverr, but these frameworks really work anywhere if you're creating your own profile page, your own profile website, or service description on other platforms too. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com, the cloud accounting solution that's recommended by 97% of small business owners. This is Rob Eng, the senior marketing manager for FreshBooks on their two primary types of users, who he calls the craftsperson and the builder. 
what we kind of call more of the craftsperson, uh, somebody who is a freelancer, who works on their own, and who has usually a subject matter expert in that field. So like a designer, a web developer, a consultant, or even a podcaster. And so what they're looking for is a way to simplify their life because their life is their work. And they're really passionate about their work. And they're trying to save time so they could focus more on what they love to do. And we know it's not necessarily accounting. The other one is more of that builder. So think about that agency or consultancy. And that person is looking for about scaling and for growth. They want to look at ways to increase productivity, understand where their business is going, how to scale it better. So we have features in there to help with collaboration uh, with your staff or contractors and helping give a really robust report so you understand how projects are running and how to be more efficient. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30 day completely free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle for bookkeeping bliss along with rockstar support. Question eight is another uh, question related to proofreading. Sandra says, Sandra asks, how did you earn money proofreading books and how much money did you make proofreading books? So Sandra, I got my first clients through Fiverr. I eventually got clients through word of mouth and some self-published author Facebook groups. And as a preferred vendor in a popular self-publishing online course, my typical rate was between 10 and 20 bucks for every thousand words. And since most books that I read were in the 20 to 40,000 word range, that meant projects were usually in the 250 to $500 range. I probably did 15 or 20 of those over the course of a year, year and a half. So not necessarily life-changing income, but it was a fun side hustle. Got to read some some cool work and uh, and make money at the same time. Question nine is from Mariel. She says, I started a podcast called Travel Experiences Reimagined. Go check out Mariel's podcast, where each week I interview a new tour guide slash tour operator to showcase their story, learn more about their tour, and what makes their city or country so special. I'm looking for ways to monetize and create a business out of this. Any Advice, guidance, help would be greatly appreciated. Well, thank you for sharing, Mariel, and way to take action. Again, go check out Travel Experiences Reimagined. My immediate thought would be to find ways to serve that audience of tour guides and aspiring tour guides. Maybe that's through recommending helpful booking software tools as an affiliate or building the definitive course on how to best market and grow a tour business or maybe it's a, a paid private mastermind for tour group operators, or on the traveler side, they think this type of show is maybe best suited to focus on a single geographic area like Rob Patingalo has done with Trip Hacks DC. That was episode 370. He was creating podcast and YouTube content aimed at travelers planning a trip to DC. And along the way, he introduces himself. Hey, I'm a professional tour guide. Come take a walking tour with me. So it helps fill his roster of upcoming tours. If you're highlighting specific tours and experiences, it sounds like you are with the guests, maybe there's an affiliate relationship to strike up with them, and it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated. Maybe you track it with a you know special coupon code or something. Hey, we got three signups you know, over the next month or something, and they give you a credit, a referral credit for those. Or you can partner with hotels for bookings or credit card affiliate programs for travel rewards points or luggage manufacturers, but you know, pros and cons to going worldwide. Obviously it's a much bigger potential audience, everybody who loves to travel, but also more potentially more difficult to monetize that too. Question 10 is from Darren. He says, I'm a freelance writer, but wondering 
what might be the easiest side hustle to launch for quick, reliable money? Many of the side hustle ideas seem to require prior expertise or a period of months to get them up to speed. My freelance work has been slow this month, and I need a quick infusion of extra cash. Well, Darren, you are right. A lot of businesses have this um, ramp-up period before you're able to see the benefits of your work. And if, if that period is only months, maybe you're doing good. But since freelance writing is the uh, the skill set that you already have, that's honestly where I'd focus my energy in the near term, either trying to get more clients or more work from existing clients, some potential resources to check out. We did episode 379 with Kai Davis. We talked about how to find new customers, like, okay, how can I grow the bucket? How to get more referrals from your existing customers or from your network, like letting people know what you do, who you do it for, how to get more referrals that way. And then going back to your existing customer base and saying, well, do you need more content or do you need content repurposed in a different way or something like that, trying to sell more to existing customers. That's episode 379. More recently, 100 episodes later, we had Georgia Austin on uh, 479. She talked about getting business on Fiverr and how to set up her different gigs to target keyword search and her thumbnail headshots and the gig descriptions and you know consistently leveling up her prices as, uh, as she got booked up. And then finally, in episode 465, we talked with Dustin Lean about his uh, partner workshops strategy, thinking of, okay, who are your target customers and who are they already doing business with? Maybe you can approach those companies and offer to put on a free educational workshop for them. In this case, maybe it's like a, like a social media scheduling software. Their customers, the, the customers of this software, they're already making some investments in their online presence. But maybe their blog content could use a fresh infusion, a fresh uh, writer to come in and add some new content and bring it up to speed. And it might only take one or two new clients to refill your workload and boost that income back up to where you need it. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Question 11 came in from Matt, who says, I'm looking to start a podcast, but don't really want to deal with filming it. I'd much rather just record the audio. But my question is, to get the most exposure, is it important to take a video version of the show? Well, Matt, I don't think video is a requirement, but it's definitely nice to have. Now, to be fair, I still tend to record most episodes as audio only. And the reason for that is I'm off looking at my notes, I'm checking other tabs, I'm not always making eye contact with the camera. So my maybe this is a fear of like, well, it's going to look awkward or something. But I do see YouTube as a powerful discovery engine. I'm still really trying to figure out kind of the best way to tap into it. I don't know if 
a ton of people are going to sit there and watch a, you know, 45, 50 minute video interview of two people just talking at their screens anyway. So I don't know how much the video element really adds to the experience versus just playing the audio since it's, it's probably going to be in the background tab anyway. Now I have been pushing select episodes to YouTube using a tool called headliner.app and it creates these little waveform videos. I used to throw every single episode up there, but now I'm trying to be a little bit more strategic with it. I'm editing down the audio. I'll strip out the ads. I'm trying to you know, shorten the content a little bit to uh, get into it even faster. I feel like the attention span on YouTube is less than what it is for podcasting. So you really got to hook people in quickly. The episodes that I do put up there are the ones that I think have some search volume behind the title or they're really compelling stories. Maybe there's like a viral element to it, which I haven't hit in a long time. Or with uh, guests that have, uh, you know, a strong YouTube presence already. And it's one way to kind of, you know, draft off of their popularity in the suggested videos in the sidebar or something. Now, my best example of that is the episode with Jennifer Maker from 2020. She's a, you know, huge DIY craft blogger and YouTube presence. She's got 700,000 subscribers on YouTube. And that repurposed audio, again, built with headliner and just kind of like a placeholder thing. It's got the waveforms bouncing. It's got her picture and it says like free audio masterclass or something like that. That's actually the second most popular video that I posted over the last 12 months, which is not saying a lot, 2,500 views so far, not complaining about that, but you know, not, not really winning the viral lottery, but again, incremental exposure, uh, every, every little bit counts. You never know where your next big fan is going to find you. But one thing I am doing as it relates to YouTube and the podcast is creating some of the shorter format episodes that I talked about. I've been creating those as video first content, usually recording with Zoom, editing those in Descript, super cool tool, by the way, uh, that lets you edit the transcript and it automatically cuts the, that part of the video. Like, oh, it's, it's really cool. And uh, putting those on YouTube first and then repurposing those as shorter form Monday episodes in the podcast feed. Question 12 came in from May who asked, how or where is the best place or who can you recommend I work with to get started selling a service? I want to be a coach, but there are so many scammers out there that want a lot of money up front that I don't have. Well, May, I definitely see the value in coaching or investing in an online course, but a lot of times it's a way to accelerate what you already have going versus starting something completely from scratch. At least those are the courses and coaching relationships that I've gotten the most out of. But to start selling a service, it starts with a niche. It starts with a pain or a problem that you solve and who you can solve it for. If you already have that in mind, there are a million ways to market yourself. We talk a lot about strategic partnerships on the show. We talk a lot about the buy buttons strategy of setting up shop on the marketplaces your target customers are already using. But go and find the book, Book Yourself Solid. You can find it at your library. You can get it used for like four or five dollars really solid strategies to go out and find clients. You don't need anybody's mentorship uh, to just get started, but maybe you can use mentorship or coaching or somebody's course to pour some fuel on the fire once you've got it going. Question 13 is from Jared. He says, I've got content I want to share. I want to help people with the knowledge I have, but I don't know where to start. Do I start a YouTube channel? Do I create an online course, a blog? What do you recommend? So Jared, a general rule, create content in the format that you are most comfortable with. 
that hopefully aligns with how your target customers prefer to consume it. It's like the old saying, what's the best social media? Well, it's the one that your target market uses. In episode 482, we caught up with Robert Farrington from The College Investor, and his recommendation was you got to have a website or blog as your home base, some piece of digital real estate that you own, and then start with one other channel where you can reach a tentacle out into the digital universe and hopefully bring some people back into your ecosystem. Maybe that's a podcast, maybe that's a YouTube channel, maybe that's an Instagram account, maybe that's a LinkedIn presence, maybe that's TikTok, but starting with the blog as the home base and one other channel to start with. But Jerry, keep me posted because we'd love to hear what you come up with there. Question 14 came in from Rosalind. She asks, do you know of anyone earning income selling legal plan memberships like prepaid legal services? Well, not personally, though I have heard of prepaid legal off and on for years, which I guess is maybe now called Legal Shield based on trying to look it up. They've been around forever. I think I probably first heard of these guys through some real estate investors groups like 20 years ago. But like a lot of direct sales or network marketing companies, you got to ask yourself a few questions. First, you know, what is the product? Is this something that people really need in their lives? Are you selling pain pills? Are you selling vitamins? It's easier to sell those pain pills. What's the consensus of the online reviews? What does the competitive landscape look like? Is this a commodity product? Is this a premium product? Is this you know something that's not priced competitively? As a rep for this company, how much are you going to earn for signing up new customers? Is that one time? Is that recurring? The person who referred you probably has some financial incentive for doing so, like any network marketing company. So it's hard to, you know, trust me, Drake, take their word for it. But, you know, look up, you know, what do other people have to say about the company? What do the online reviews say? What are the startup costs? Like how much is that? Is there sometimes a big upfront investment? That's a big red flag. And then think about, okay, well, if all of those things check out, how are you going to keep that funnel filled of new potential customers? This is where a lot of network marketers stall out. They don't have a way to continually fill that pipeline with fresh leads. So hopefully that's helpful. Question 15 is from Amanda. She asks, how would you react when a longtime customer of yours asks you for a discount? Well, Amanda, this one actually got a ton of discussion in the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group. But the consensus was to stick to your prices with some limited exceptions. And the first exception was maybe there's a volume discount, kind of a, you know, buy 10 punch card, get the 11th one free kind of deal. And the other one was for referring new customers as a way to reward or incentivize word of mouth sharing. Like, hey, you know, for every new customer, we'll send you a Amazon gift card or we'll, you know, get your next service for free or something like that or a discount on your next service. Now, if the customer has been with you a long time, they obviously see value in your service. And so you have to judge, well, what's the real risk if I say no? Are they seriously considering switching providers? Or do you think they're more of the mindset, well, doesn't hurt to ask. And then on the flip side, if you do see them as a as a flight risk, what's the impact to your business, to your bottom line? You know, what's it cost you to go out and acquire a new customer? Maybe it is cheaper to give them that that discount that they're asking for. Are you otherwise at capacity? Lots of factors here, but like uh, other Side Hustle Nation members mentioned, my gut is to say something like, look, I really value your business. I love working with you. In fact, because we've been working together so long, you're already actually at a lower rate than all my other clients. So I'm sorry, I can't offer an additional discount at this time. This says you still value the relationship, that your services are in demand, and because of their loyalty, 
they're already getting your best rate. Question 16 comes in from Scott. He says, I've been running a successful service business for years, but once every month or two, I get somebody who isn't happy no matter what I do, and they want their money back. I put it in my quote terms a long time ago that I don't offer money back on the work that's done, but people still ask. Any advice? Scott, this is a tough one because there's part of me that just wants to avoid conflict and try and avoid you know, getting a negative review online because one upset customer could cost you dozens more if they decide to flame your profiles online. And in a service business, it really is hard to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. So the question probably becomes, well, how do you reduce the frequency of unhappy customers instead of, you know, once every month or two, maybe it's, you know, one every six months or, you know, a couple people a year or something like that. And that happens through customer vetting, making sure they're a good fit before you start. Maybe there's a customer intake form and you start to see some red flags. Uh, they're going to be really hard to please. Or maybe there's some common traits that you've noticed among the customers that have asked you for a refund in the past that you can be on the lookout for upfront with new prospects. And the other element is being really clear and communicative upfront with the deliverables. Like we just had uh, a structural engineer to come out to look at the house and we weren't happy with what he found, but we still understand we got to pay him for his time and expertise. So there may be some slight updating of the expectations at the start of the relationship that better explains how the payment works. It would be weird to put something like, look, satisfaction is not guaranteed. So I, I wouldn't necessarily message it that way. But maybe you could say, look, here's how I bill. I work with your input to produce this result on this timeline. Included in that price are three back and forth revisions. But any work beyond that scope is going to be an additional charge at this rate. Question 17 came from Brooke who asks, you got four hours to put something together that could potentially bring in at least $50 a month in passive income. Where do you put that effort? I love these kind of thought exercises and, and the $50 price point makes it seem you know more achievable than 500 or 5,000. My uh, gut reaction was you know to make a YouTube video because this feels like some of the most passive income that I have despite the sometimes hours that go into producing those videos. But I look, I got four hours. That was the setup here. So especially if you've already got a channel that meets the YouTube monetization requirements, some of my best performing content there is just quick question and answer, solve a specific problem. If you have overcome or, you know, figured out the answer to something in your own life, you know, could you create the quick answer video for that? Some of those, you know, from years and years ago, they still get views, they still earn income long after publishing. The other thing that came to mind was, you know, creating some sort of uh, print on demand merch merch by Amazon, Redbubble, like throw up a few t-shirt designs and those can sell over and over again uh, passively, creating some other type of digital assets. Go check out our episode with Rachel Jones selling printables on Etsy, super inspiring. And she's, you know, casting a wide net. I think she had, you know, hundred something products when we spoke, but you know, if you had four hours, yeah, you could probably put together a cool little printable that, uh, you know, again, create something once, sell it over and over again. And then another suggestion that came up from the Facebook group was maybe you could rent out some space around your house. Neighbor.com is one resource that we've talked about uh, before as a potential side hustle. This is Airbnb for storage. So if you got some extra space around your house, your garage, your attic, your side yard, this platform uh, will match you up with somebody who has extra stuff that they need stored. 
And question 18, to bring it home this time, I guess 18 questions when they don't have the same ring to it. But uh, Frank asks, affiliate selling through links. Does this really only pay off if you have a large audience or a popular site? Well, Frank, affiliate marketing definitely can scale very nicely if you do have a large audience or a popular site. But those things aren't necessarily a requirement. It's more about reaching the right audience with the right product recommendation at the right time. For example, the uh, virtual assistant site that I built and, and actually sold about a year and a half ago Never got a ton of traffic, but it reached a highly targeted audience. It helped them make their decision on which service provider to go with. Similarly, we had Saw L on the show from Simply Insurance. Again, not a ton of traffic, but really well targeted. You know, high buyer intent search terms and landing pages and super valuable in terms of the affiliate commissions from that traffic. So the niche definitely matters. And then the other angle is video content. Maybe you don't have any audience. Maybe you don't have a website at all but you can create a compelling product review or comparison video. And that way, when people are searching for information on YouTube, they find your video, they've got an opportunity to buy through your affiliate link, which is something I've definitely done as a consumer and during my own product research phase. Again, notes and links to all the resources mentioned in this episode are at sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A13. Big thanks to everybody who submitted questions this round. Keep them coming. It fuels content like this, and it's a ton of fun. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Go ahead and start your 30-day free trial of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for freelancers and service providers everywhere at freshbooks.com slash sidehustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.